0: Welcome to episode number 48 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small, friendly neighborhood market with a huge personality. Please visit the slash jhm to learn more. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host. I believe if you desire a truly fulfilling life, both personally and professionally, then you must be willing to find a connection with people outside of your everyday circle of influence, which is why I created the Jackson Hole Connection Podcast. Today's guest is Abby Harrison, a.k.a. Astronaut Abby. Abby began speaking on the topic of space exploration at the age of 13 and was given the title Astronaut Abby in high school. Now a graduate of Wellesley College with a degree in Astrobiology and Russian Area Studies, Astronaut Abby has over one million social media followers. Abby has set her BHAG to be the first person to set foot on the planet of Mars. She's focused and driven to accomplish her BHAG and in doing so Abby started a nonprofit organization the Mars generation. She speaks to schools about STEAM education, she's presented a TED talk, and has recorded a live webcast with astronaut Robert Springer. Abby will share with us today what her path looks like to be the first person to set foot on Mars and how she became so interested in the space program and becoming an astronaut. Abby will inspire us with her story that you can overcome any barrier and work hard for your dreams with a ton of tenacity and plenty of determination. Astronaut Abby, I am really excited that you accepted my invitation to be a guest here on the Jackson Hole Connection podcast, so thank you for coming today.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk all things space. (laughs)
0: well there's a lot of space in between my ears (laughs) we won't talk about that a lot of blank dark space there (laughs) I can't wait for my oldest son to meet you because he is a sponge when it comes to learning about stuff and he would ask you questions all day long
1: (laughs) (laughs) that would be great yeah um a great resource, actually, for everyone, but especially for kids, is that the Teton County Library right now, their summer theme for kids reading is space. That's so right. So they have a ton of books on display and some activities for kids to get really involved with space and uh, literature, all of that. Check it out.
0: We will do that. And we <laughs> still need to sign him up for the reading program. So you go by Astronaut Abby, and you have quite – a resume. And you're how old?
1: I just turned 22.
0: Just turned 22. You you just graduated college from... Yeah,
1: about a month ago I graduated from Wellesley College up in Massachusetts.
0: Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. You got the cap and gown and got to do the walk.
1: Oh, it was so much fun. (laughs) Nice.
0: (laughs) So let's start because all of my guests have a connection to Jackson Hole. You're here physically right now, but... Tell me, what is your connection to Jackson Hole?
1: I moved to Jackson about a month ago. I was recruited from my astronomy and astrophysics departments at Wellesley College by Wyoming Stargazing. They, um, every year, send out an email asking if any of the students there would be interested in working for them for the summer. And I got that email, and I thought that coming and working for Wyoming Stargazing as a stargazing leader was a... Perfect thing to do right after I graduated. I'm taking a gap year before I go into graduate school and so Jackson Hole was the first stop on my year of basically Exploring that I'm doing
0: and that's our plug for Wyoming stargazing you Got that, <laughs> <Sam>? <laughs> um, I don't think you could ask for a better place to look at the stars other than here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming Because we don't really have light pollution
1: Yeah, there's a lot less light pollution out here, I think. So there are a couple things that make Jackson such a fantastic place to look at the sky um, and the stars. And I have to say it is one of the best places I've ever seen. The only other one that I've uh, seen that I would say rivals Jackson for having beautiful night skies is the month I spent in Siberia. So if that tells you anything about how great Jackson skies are, um, definitely a a good plug there. But I think that limited light pollution especially if you're going out into the national parks like Wyoming stargazing does on a lot of their tours or programs to get away from even the small amount that there is still here because that still can affect your viewing um, and then having the elevation and just generally really good weather I found that nights out here eight out of ten are almost completely clear and have such great visibility
0: it's really nice when we go camping and mm-hmm. we can look up and see the stars and it's It's such a fantastic experience because people from the city come out here and they're like, whoa, you can see the stars. What's
1: that big splotch across the sky? (laughs) Well, that's the Milky Way, (laughs) which I should know because I'm from a city. I grew up in the Twin Cities um, and definitely makes a difference being out in a place like this. Like I can guarantee that there's a big, everyone who lives here is very lucky to get to see these skies Mm -hmm. every night.
0: So... You go by Astronaut Abby, and even though that you're taking a gap year between graduating college and going to graduate school, you're still busy. You have some big stuff going on. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious audacious (laughs) goal? That's right.
1: (laughs) I'm glad I haven't heard the term BHAG uh, for a while, but I like it. It's a good one. So, yeah, I go by Astronaut Abby. That's the handle or name that I use on all of my social media channels. And it started out when I was uh, a teenager as kind of like I was just setting up these accounts for um, first after school project I was doing, actually. And I used Astronaut Abby because I wanted to and still want to be an astronaut. Um, and who doesn't love alliterations? So it doesn't get better than Astronaut Abby. And then it turned into this huge thing where now I have about a million people who are following along on my social media channels who are essentially with me as I chase this BHAG of mine, which is to become an astronaut and eventually to be one of the first, if not the first, astronaut to walk on Mars.
0: That's a big one right there.
1: Oh, yeah. You betcha.
0: <laughs> and and I love it. And this all started when you are in high school to have this vision of you being the first woman or first person to step on Mars.
1: First person, okay. definitely. Because as you can see by the fact that just this summer, we're going on the 50th anniversary of the Apollo landings, Apollo 11. And we still have yet to have a woman walk on the surface of the moon. So I'm not willing to say I wanna be the first woman to walk on the surface of Mars. I wanna be the first person and the first woman.
0: I love it. So you have a process to become an astronaut. What is that process?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the actual requirements to become a NASA astronaut are to have a four-year degree in a related field. So that can be pretty much any STEAM fields, so science, tech, engineering, uh, arts and math, Uh, And that includes a lot of things, like if you're in the education fields, um, you could apply. There are all kinds of ways that those are connected. You also need to be in um, generally good health, so they have things like your vision needs to be correctable to 2020, some pretty flexible height requirements or pretty wide height requirements. uh, And then you also have to have three years of professional research experience or 1,000 hours of pilot in command of a jet aircraft. So those are the, in theory, requirements of like what you would have to have to submit your application to become a NASA astronaut. But when you look at the reality of applying in that kind of a uh, selection, it's a lot more in-depth than that. Um, astronaut candidates or those who are selected to be astronauts generally are the top of the top. They're the cream of the crop, essentially, because NASA gets so many applicants. It's one of the most competitive jobs, essentially. I think in the last selection there were something like 18,000 applicants for eight spots. So if you really want to be an astronaut, you need to have, um, when you look at the resumes of recently selected ones, you basically need to have a PhD and you need to be the top of your field in whatever you study. And then you have to have a lot of other add-ons to your resume, essentially, things like piloting or scuba diving or um, working in remote locations, speaking multiple languages, all of those types of things to show that you really have the skills that will help to make you the best candidate that you can be as an astronaut. And that's the path that I'm on right now is working so that in five or 10 years when I do apply, my resume will be the best that I can make it.
0: I love it. Talk about somebody with a vision and you set your goals and you are working on those. And does it feel as though that where you are in your life at this point, because it is a little bit further down the road, does it feel unattainable?
1: No, definitely not. And that's something that I've actually been, so I've wanted to be an astronaut ever since I can remember. It's one of my earliest memories is being probably four or five years old and it all started with astronomy, with looking up at the night sky and dreaming about what was out there in space and knowing that I wanted to someday be part of exploring that. Um, So it's a goal that I've had at this point in my life for over a decade now, and I'm probably a decade away from achieving it still. And with those kinds of goals, I think that at points it can be difficult to see the end point. It can be difficult to feel like it's attainable or achievable, when you run into roadblocks, or when things are taking longer than expected, when you run into any kind of a hurdle. But something that's really helped me over the years and that I continue to focus on to see it as being achievable and attainable is to break it down into smaller goals and to also look at that and say that even though I've had this life plan that has encompassed multiple decades of my life that I look at and I say, here's what I want to achieve, I'm always willing to shift that or to change things up. And I think that really helps to make sure that as I experience life, which we all know takes unexpected turns and never follows a plan exactly as you'd want it to, even if it's taking a turn that I didn't anticipate, I'm still on the right path towards eventually achieving this goal. And so I think for the long term uh, answer of that, I don't see it as being unattainable or unachievable in any way.
0: Cool. I love it. Thanks. And, and I love how you're breaking it, breaking it down and you're willing to make some changes when needed and it doesn't seem overwhelming. Kudos to you. Thank you. Who? Do you have a mentor?
1: Yeah, I've had a lot of mentors over the years. I'm really lucky in that front to have met people who have been um, really giving of their time and their energy and their advice with me. One of my biggest mentors and role models uh, was someone that I met when I was 13 years old. And I actually met him, so it's an Italian astronaut Luca Parmitano with the European Space Agency. And I actually met him by accident in an airport. Hmm. Yeah, talk about- uh, You never
0: know when fate is meant to happen. A
1: small world or something, yeah. (laughs) I turned around in security and he was right behind me, um, or a couple people behind me and I recognized him and introduced myself and we ended up spending about an hour in the airport talking um and at the end of that meeting he gave me his email address and told me if you have any more questions you can email me i will be your astronaut and that's something Mm -hmm. that he stayed true to for um ever since then he's always been someone that a i can look up to and um be someone that when i have questions or Uh, when I'm in need of more guidance, I guess, I can turn to and ask for his advice. And that's been a really great fundamental piece, I think, in helping me to continue down this path.
0: And you and Lucas stay in touch to this day.
1: Yeah, we stay in touch. Um, We worked together. uh, So again, then when I was 15, I worked as his Earth Liaison. So it was something that had never been done before was an astronaut in space for six months on the International Space Station working with a kid, or a not quite adult, um, here on Earth who wasn't part of any official space organization. So I'm not affiliated with NASA or any other organization. But we worked together where I was sharing his experiences living and working in space with people here on Earth in a different way than he was able to, because he recognized that I reached some demographics a lot better than he could. Mm-hmm. And that that was a unique opportunity that we had to then have a much wider reach of how incredible and exciting space is. Um, and so we worked together for about six months and since then have uh, stayed in touch for sure.
0: That's awesome. And and I think everybody needs a mentor. I think at, so too. Throughout every stage of your life. And you can always have new in, or different mentors, but you got to start someplace.
1: You definitely need mentors. I think that, like you said, every stage of your life, and you can have multiple mentors at the same time um, in different areas, all of that. I think that one area where mentors have actually been shown to be so incredibly important is for teenage girls in STEM fields to continue on. There's been some research that's been done that's shown that that's part of how we can combat the lack of women in a lot of STEM fields is by providing mentorship at critical times. So about 15 years old is when they say that girls start to really drop out of the STEM fields Hmm. and that just having a mentor, even if it's not someone who's super involved, but having someone that you can look up to and that can help guide you a little bit is something that can make a huge difference uh, at that time.
0: And tell me, what are the STEM fields?
1: so stem stands for science technology engineering and math okay um and lots of different things can can fit into there really anything in those areas that you can imagine whether it's biology or physics or uh computer software design all of that
0: and and now stem has gone with another acronym is where it's going. And what is the new acronym that's so the being used?
1: N- the new acronym, and I'm glad you asked, uh, that a lot of people are using, that I'm a big fan of using, I think this is the one you're talking about, is STEAM. Yes. Yep, so it's where you incorporate the A into STEM, mm-hmm. and that stands for arts. And the idea behind that is that uh, Everything is so interwoven in our lives that you can't have STEM and you shouldn't without also having arts and vice versa. Arts are better when you incorporate science or technology or math into them as well. And I'm a big fan of that from a perspective especially how we're teaching and how our educational systems are run that they should be done on a STEAM basis. So making sure that we have the creativity and the expression that arts can bring tied in and involved with uh, STEM fields. And that's one of the reasons actually, um, rather than going to a tech institute or focusing on something like astrophysics, I went to a liberal arts college.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think I'd love to have you come to my Rotary Club, the Noon Club, and you can uh, introduce, I can introduce you to some folks, but I was having a conversation with somebody and he was a scientist and he does not agree with adding the arts to it. So I'd love to put you and him at the same table, and <laughs> you two can have a little debate over STEM versus STEAM.
1: <laughs> I would love to have that. Yeah. What everyone listening didn't just experience was the shocked and odd look <laughs> on my face when I heard uh, that. <laughs> That's definitely an opinion that some people have, and mm-hmm. I think they're wrong, but I'm always interested to hear and discuss why people are on either side of the fence when it comes to the STEAM STEM conversation. Certainly,
0: I think we always have to be willing to hear the opposing viewpoint.
1: I think in many cases, mm-hmm. that's a good
0: yeah. thing, yeah. So you have an organization that's very much promotes and helps educate people about STEAM. And that organization is, drumroll. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I run, I founded and run the Mars Generation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that focuses on, we have two goals. One of Time a, out. Yeah. All right. I got to <laughs> interrupt you
0: here. How, are you, how old were you when you started this foundation that's a 501c3?
1: I was 18 years old. Okay. I started 18. it in my first month of college. <laughs> now,
0: I think hopefully people are getting even more of a sense of the uh, power that, your aura that (laughs) radiates and you're just so humble with it all you've uh, you're so driven so when you're 18 you you started this 501c3 foundation sorry keep going
1: no thank you (laughs) yeah so we're going on about four years now and the mars generation has two goals one of them is to excite and educate the public about space and stem and then the other one, and this is a really big one, is that we try to excite and then also support uh, young people, so the current generation, in pursuing careers in STEAM. All kinds of things, whether that's exposing them in the first place to what, why STEAM and why space exploration is so exciting, or actually helping them to continue on the path towards achieving careers in those fields. And the whole idea behind this is that I realized uh, for a couple of years and then it culminated when I was 18 and formed this nonprofit that if we want to do truly great things in the future, if we want to land on Mars, if I want to walk on Mars, so you could say that my nonprofit is selfish because it's supporting my own personal uh, <laughs> it goal. It is not
0: selfish. It is not.
1: <laughs> but if we want to do these great things, if we want to have the ability to make our world better in the future and to be ready to counter some of the issues that we're starting to see face us today, then we need to be supporting the generation that's growing up today that will actually be accomplishing those things in the future to have the experiences, the interests, and the education that they need in order to truly become the Mars generation. And the best way to do that is to do it. So you can't just wait for it to happen. I realized you have to go out there, and someone has to be the one to be drumming up excitement and support for those things. Somebody
0: has to take action. Exactly. And you, did it. you can talk about it around the kitchen table all day, all day long, or around the pe- at the pizza shop. But until somebody actually takes action. Nothing's gonna happen
1: exactly and mm-hmm. that's the way that I looked at it was that you can't just sit there and expect that We're going to walk on Mars in the future or that we're going to be able to take care of Earth in the future or Any of these great goals that we have you have to take action now if you want to see those things happen in the future And that's what the Mars generation was really founded on.
0: I love it. Thank you for creating this foundation and I look forward to my boys being a part of steam um, learning. It, my oldest son, he was just accepted to the dual immersion program here in town.
1: Oh, that's exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. So half of his day will be in English and half of his day will be in Spanish. Okay. It's a lottery. So he was, he got a winning ticket to begin in kindergarten and they have a steam room there mm. and he is excited about that steam room. I tell you <laughs> that. yeah,
1: That's fantastic. And mm-hmm. I think that you know, the earlier we can expose kids to Steam, the better. Um, when you can catch them at a young age with really hands-on, exciting, interesting, impactful activities in in Steam, then that builds this lifelong interest and and love for Steam that uh, is just gonna do him and every other kid who we can try and give that opportunity to in the future. Good things for their futures.
0: Hmm. Abby. We're going to take a quick break and have a word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. Sounds good. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. Did you forget the milk and eggs again? Not to worry. Jackson Hole Marketplace is the place to stop just south of town. Looking for a new spot to grab breakfast or lunch on the go? Jackson Hole Marketplace is calling your name. Located four miles south of town, Jackson Hole Marketplace has a friendly, knowledgeable team ready to help you find what you need. Stop in today for some soft-serve ice cream and a quick hello. Visit the slash JHM for more details. So, Abby, our discussion is absolutely fascinating, and you've accomplished so much at an early age. And I think you could uh, yourself be a mentor to many, many people out there, just if they got online and started reading your, your background.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: So let's talk about outer space a little bit. Yeah. It's such a large, expansive area. And I do hear that it's becoming polluted with all of the satellites that we send up there. Is there a chance that the orbit around the earth will become full? with all the stuff that we're sending up there? Is that a concern for somebody who, such as yourself, a young astronaut?
1: Yeah, that is definitely an issue. As we've said, space is a big place, but it turns out that our orbit is not such a big place. It's a finite, limited uh, area. And for the past couple decades, we have been sending up massive amounts of um, satellites. And generally, the organizations that are in charge of those satellites keep try very hard to keep good track of what orbit they're in, when they'll be intersecting or crossing paths with other satellites, all of that, because it's much like a highway system that the more information you have... The fewer collisions, the fewer uh, hang-ups, all of that that you have going on. But the thing is, it's a lot more complicated than even our road systems are because you can't always plan for everything in space. And sometimes uh, satellites will either get decommissioned and not properly disposed of or they'll simply stop working for some reason. Maybe they were hit by a micrometeorite. Maybe they ran out of battery power. There are all kinds of reasons that a satellite won't be... um, Either reachable anymore for commands or won't be able to adjust its path or anything like that. And when that happens, you start to have issues because now you have things that aren't in an orbit that we know about or that aren't being tracked as carefully and they can collide. And when things collide in space, they break up and go into unexpected trajectories or paths as well. And then All of those pieces of the things that collided can then collide with other things and it causes this radiating effect where the more collisions you have the more likely you are to have collisions in the future so we're definitely starting to reach that point where if not now soon it will be a concern in our uh, orbit of how much junk essentially there is in unknown trajectories up there
0: So do they need to send waste management up there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's still a question of how that's going to be dealt with. It Mm -hmm. depends what we're planning on using our orbit for in the near future. If it's going to continue to be satellites that provide us with things here on Earth, that'll be a different cleanup plan for those types of uh, usages than it is if we're going to be having, for example, space tourism that involves people going up and orbiting the Earth for a couple days. But what it comes down to will be a, a type of waste management where we're going to need to go up there and essentially try and clean up some of the mess that we've uh, we've made.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do they, does somebody or an organization properly dispose of a satellite?
1: So the correct, usually the best <clears throat> way to dispose of uh, a satellite or even not a satellite, but anything else that's involved in your space travel uh, that you're not using anymore, whether that's a waste product or if that's like uh, an extra piece of your rocket that all the fuel's burnt up, um, whatever it is, is to send it back to Earth essentially and to have it on a trajectory. There um, are specific uh, ways that you would plan this so that it's on a long enough trajectory through the Earth's atmosphere that it burns up completely before it would reach the surface. Okay. So we're not talking about dumping trash from space back onto Earth. We're talking about just having it burn up gradually in the atmosphere as mm-hmm. it uh, exits an in, in orbit, basically.
0: Fascinating. Yeah. And you, being the person that loves space, astrologist, <laughs> okay. are you are you an astrologist? I'm not. Um,
1: So I don't personally place a lot of uh, faith, I guess you would say, in astrology. But I do think that it's still something that when someone talks about astrology, I listen to what Mm -hmm. they're saying. Because even if I don't believe in the concepts associated with astrology, I think that I can learn a lot about someone as a person, what it is that they think, by listening to their opinions on that matter. And that goes for a lot of things that you know. You don't have to believe in something in order to hear some of the underlying messages that are involved with it from from other people who do believe in
0: it. Not astrology, but you do look through the telescope at the stars.
1: Yeah, and, I'm and an what is that avid astronomer.
0: astronomer. Astronomer. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you for helping me with my southern education and not knowing the difference but my words get all mixed up hey you'd so, be
1: surprised <laughs> i've had plenty of interviews where i've been talking about how much i love astronomy and i'll accidentally slip in the word astrology there <laughs> just because they're so similar and it rolls off the tongue by mistake sometimes and then i have to backtrack and
0: <laughs> and so why mars why do you want to reach mars
1: that's the million dollar question right mm-hmm. <laughs> Why Mars? Uh, how much time did you say we have? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 2021
0: <laughs> we have until.
1: <laughs> I really think that there are three primary reasons why we should be going to Mars um, and why I'm personally interested in going to Mars. And the first one is that when you look at space exploration, one of the big reasons why we do it, one of the great justifications for space exploration is that of all the industries out there space exploration is one of them that has the greatest return on investment now whether that's economic stimulus whether that's inspiring people whether that's technological development all of those areas whatever you put into space exploration you get ample return on but we only get those great types of stimulus in the economy and in our technological growth and all of these things that we wouldn't be able to live life on here here on earth today without We only get those returns if we're truly challenging ourselves in space. That's what makes it so fruitful, I guess you could say. That's what makes space travel so fruitful is that it is difficult. And so in order to continue to see these kinds of technological advancements and and other returns, we need to continue to ask ourselves, are we really going to the edge of what we can do? Are we really testing our limits and pushing our boundaries in space and trying to achieve that next big goal? And the answer is that right now in low Earth orbit, I don't believe that we truly are. I think that low Earth orbit, which is where we've been with the International Space Station for the past couple decades, is super important. And it's a thing that has allowed us to learn a lot about how to do space exploration. But it's not pushing our boundaries and testing our limits the same way that something like going to Mars will. And so we need to we need to continue to try and achieve that next greatest goal if we want to continue to see incredible returns on that type of investment here on Earth. Um, So that's reason number one to go to Mars. The second reason is that it's the next step that we need to take in space exploration. Humans as a whole are explorers. That's something that I believe is a fundamental part of what makes us human and what ties us together throughout the world, no matter what culture you're from, no matter what country you're from, we're all explorers and we're all interested in looking over that next hill, turning that next corner, discovering new things. And that goes for space exploration as well. We're barely even dipping our toes right now in our solar system, let alone our universe. And in order to go a little farther than dipping our toes, in order to wade out into the cosmic ocean, you could say, we need to learn how to have what's called Earth-independent space exploration. So we need to do something that gets us away from Earth a little bit farther. And Mars is the perfect goal uh, or the perfect destination for that kind of a goal because Mars is just difficult enough that it's something we can look at and in this this decade and this generation say that seems nearly impossible, but it's also doable enough that it's on the possible side of that possible impossible line. And so by going to Mars, we'll have to develop technolo- technologies and um, methods in space exploration that are the beginning of that Earth independency, that are the ability to go somewhere and not get immediate assistance from Earth if there were an issue. Um, When you go to Mars, it's not only, so it's about a six to eight month trip physically to get to Mars, but it's also about a 20 or 30 minute round trip for information to go to and from Mars, because Mars is just so far away that even something traveling at the speed of light will take up to 30 minutes to get there and back. And so that means that if you're on Mars or if you're orbiting around Mars as an astronaut and you have an issue, you need to be able to handle it there without getting immediate assistance in the in the form of information from Earth. And that's the true essence of Earth independency that will allow us to really unlock the rest of our solar system and go anywhere else that we want to after Mars. Um, if we can learn how to explore Mars, then it's an open book from there on out. And the third reason is that I think we need something that inspires generations and something that connects us as people and reminds us that here on Earth, we're, we're kind of small. We're on that pale blue dot that Carl Sagan has talked about. And one of the greatest things that I can imagine that would do that and that would remind us that we're all human and what it is that we're living for on a day-to-day basis is to go to Mars.
0: Well said. Spectacular. <laughs> and just listening to you makes me realize that i can do so much more just in my daily life and thank you because you're you're inspiring you're motivating
1: Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things that by talking about going to Mars, but then also actually doing it will inspire a generation and generations really of people here on earth who have that exact same sentiment, who say, if there are footprints, if there are boot prints on the surface of Mars, then can we even say the sky is the limit anymore? And what does that mean that I personally could do in my life? Or what kinds of things can we accomplish here on earth that... Are suddenly open to us because we've seen incredible, inspiring things happen
0: off of Earth. To learn more about Astronaut Abby, the Mars generation, and her mission to Mars, please visit the Jackson Hole com. episode number 48. I do love hearing from my listeners and subscribers, so if you have feedback, suggestions, please send me an email too. Connect at the Jackson Connection.com. Please remember when you're in Jackson Hole, be sure to visit my friends at Jackson Hole Marketplace. This podcast could not be possible without the help and support of my lovely wife, Laura, my editor, Michael Mori, my musical director, Luke Taylor, and my marketing guru, Tana Hoffman. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.